Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Noxherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include apocalypse, fantasy violence, gore, blood and bloodletting, body horror, complex and complicated relationships, death of loved ones, flirting, romance, references to sexual entanglements, trauma, and destructive sound effects. Arc 8, Episode 1. Yielding into the Long Dark. From Eulogy for a Dying World by Connie Chong. The old woman, considering the end of all things, sits on her porch and waits. Chiming crickets chorus, tadpoles conspire in dense clumps of ink. The wind trembles through the weeping of the willows shaking down leaves like an overdue debt. Everything is going now, yielding into the long dark. The reeds, the cattails, the orchids, the bull tongues, the leeches, the honeycomb. The lynx is crawling into frame. The thorn wound in his paw is closed. An old length of bandage is wrapped around it. He limps onto the porch. He lies down. The ravens perch on the railing, praying, praying. The old woman, considering the end of all things, names the mites rooting around in the thistles. She lights her pipe and waits. The eight of you! Stagger against the edge of the Euclid chasm. Your feet find purchase on tenuously solid ground, and as you gather your wits, your thoughts, your breaths, apocalypse blooms around you like bright desert flowers after rainfall. Everything is crimson. Your eyes travel to the southern horizon where that pillar of red, red light slows in its ascending churn toward the cosmos, flickers, glitches, 
like water coughing from a stuck pipe inverted. And then it stops because its purpose is done. And before your very eyes, the final patch of black starlight is swallowed by a tidal wave of blood red void. And then, one by one, differing in size and shape, but sharing that same painted eight dimensionality, the eyes open. And so do the wings. In the negative space between irises, the air shimmers, vibrates like a dream manifesting, and the feathers shake into existence, white, bleached, immaculate, bone-sharp, hard-edged, like cut diamond. The death of a world is profound, isn't it? This horizon-like coral, vermilion, Porous eyes of crimson, bleeding, blinking, burned black veins burrowing through sky like parasites. The winnowing clouds, the plumes of lucent blood, the halos of void light above every painted eye of the mindless irises roving like searchlights, like hunting dogs, like crosshairs. The breathless gasp, the rustling like bones in a faucet, the wings of the bodiless, layered, hexagonal, tessellated, fluid, feathers quivering in supplication, in defense, in shelter. The end is here, my friends, and it has eight names, and they are mother and mindless, chrysalis and bodiless, stranger and heartless, Oblivion and Eluso. All parts of this end are finally together. Bodiless wings, mindless eyes, heartless body, and they are all the same. The stranger. The eyes are the stranger, the wings are the stranger, the blood red light shooting through with black veins are the stranger. Dewey, Vasanti. Sitlali and Jaron. The four of you explode into existence next to Oka, Vaska, Abiku, and Gentle in a black, seething swirl of ever-changing demonic magic. The homestead of one Dr. Hitsagaten, Eluso, looms some 50 feet away from you. Its roof collapsed. Gaping crevices from the earthquake earlier strike through the dirt like thunderbolts. And all around you is mayhem, shouting. Armed soldiers from Kirtal, Jukai to Long Talmad bustling to and fro, only a few glancing your direction amidst the chaos. You're surrounded by people everywhere, and before any of you can act, before even another heartbeat passes, she emerges. A hand, which is also a weapon, which is also a tower, rises out of the chasm several hundred feet wide, perhaps, at its narrowest, 
thousands of feet long as the hand ascends, tall as a building, as a hill, as a mountain. Hand connects to arm slash handle slash beam connects to shoulder slash pommel slash plinth. The stranger is indescribable, really. You have only ever seen it in your nightmares, taller than the world, and you have never questioned it. Because dreams are dreams, they do not obey logic, but now the waking world is subsumed with the force of Oblivion's non-reality, and you see it for what it is. A creature, a weapon, a building, all at once, immaculately smashed together to conceal its heartless heart. Oblivion, still mostly inside the chasm, slams the flat of its palm downward. And to the south, some 50 miles away, its fingers grasp the peaks of the godspine. Its elbow smashes into Kirtal, and it starts to pull itself out. And at this point, the earth is shaking. The sky is literally falling. People are screaming. And then, ripping through the bedlam, the braying screech of a bugle. The thundering rush of hooves and Toktoa Kagon rides through the panic astride a black steed sunshot, strung in her hands, golden and gleaming like the dawn. She releases a flurry of glowing arrows into a swarm of gibbering, seething, winged, empty beasts descending from the bleeding, crying sky. And these arrows vanish into the black depths of this swarm and then fingers of light beams peer through the shadows and the beasts explode, raining down all around you in a cascade of mother's blood. And the Kagan's sharp, Steely brown eyes land on your group, and she roars in a thundering voice. You, Paragons, Keepers, to Camp Vanguard, eastward. And she's urging her steed now, peeling east toward the yawning chasm, loosing arrows with every half second at the empty beasts beginning to spawn all around the homestead. And now we pan back to the eight of you, starting with Abiku. Who are you? What do you look like as you're tangled in this pile on the ground with the rest of your companions? And what in this moment do you try to save? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Abiku Ishtar, the biggest woman you've ever met. <laughs> uh, long white locks black and gold like tunic style dress it, it does the cross thing i don't know what that's called you'd think i would have learned it after four arcs i didn't uh, <laughs> um but it's like black with gold embellishments this sick raven tattoo on the back broad shoulders strong arms she's an archer uh clouded eyes and then uh there are clouds on her face that the best way to describe them right now are like the like if a cloud could be afraid they look like that i don't whatever that looks like in your imagination is correct i don't have an answer for you because i can't take it out of my brain and put it in yours what do i try and save 
assuming that any NPC before is with us, that I'm trying to save Costas, who is terrible under pressure. Yeah, okay. Uh, Costas is underfoot, I think pressed under Oka at this point, is sort of like still in that pile on the ground as you're disentangling yourself and watching the literal fucking end of the world emerge from the chasm, a couple feet to your right. Uh, and as your eyes clouded, like swoop down and look at Costas, you see their like bisected face peer out from underneath an elbow, from around an armpit, uh, eyes wide and fearful, just like the clouds thundering across your face. There's a moment where Costas is sort of like reaching out for you, right? Like underneath the pile and you see panic beginning to build behind their eyes. Their their fingers are like like outstretched uh, and they're trying to like hold their arm out to you and you hear them go, Abiku, help. Uh, yeah, I take my hand down and I'm like, I would not let anything happen to you. And I want to pull Costas out and put them on my back. Baby Yoda. And get out of there. Yeah, and start, uh, I want to use my, like, fire feet spell and start hoofing it. Okay, I think because you're powerful enough, you can just sort of easily grab Costas out of this pile and, like, hoof them over your shoulder, and you begin to turn and just run uh, toward the east, I assume, toward Camp Vanguard. Yes, as you start to hoof it toward the chasm, you hear a voice in your head, a familiar voice that you sent up and away from the chasm some minutes Hours, days, seconds ago, Sun's voice swirling in you like a thunderstorm. Abiku! And you feel a uh, chill and a shadow fall over your shoulders. You look up and you see your drake careening through the sky with Shrinyi on his back. And your ex-wife, girlfriend, fiance, lover, soulmate who died and came back just like you did uh, is clinging on to Sun's neck and is looking all around. Her eyes are wide and frightened as well. And her, I think, hair is just like whipping around in the breeze as uh, Sun sort of banks down toward the right and like starts swirling down around you. Come on, Abiku, get on. Uh, I, yeah, I get on. I put Kasa and I, I look back at the pile. Everybody, let's go. Okay, yeah. Uh, Abiku, as you start to hop onto Sun's back, you see, descending out of the sky, there's, okay, there's monsters everywhere, right? The eyes of the mindless, which are also the stranger, have been bleeding these thick, long streams of mother's blood, like it's a rainfall. And where these globules of uh, blood red black ink splash onto the ground, they begin to form beasts empty creatures. And you see a huge globule, I think, just sort of splatter against Sun's tail and almost like sapient sentient venom. It starts to come to life and form these like clawing, scratching black hands, like a conglomeration of just a pile of like black and red and white limbs uh, start to weigh Sun down. And Shrini lets out a cry and turns to try to like cast some sort of spell, but is too spent, like way too spent from being embedded in a wall for a year uh, to do anything effective here, right? What do you do in that moment? I will use the my Drake Breath ability that Sun grants me, so I'm going to just let out a line of lightning. Okay, that is going to be your combat roll, I think. Is that usually a save? Yeah, dexterity save usually. So what would you like me to I'm do gonna instead? I'm going to ask you to make just an attack roll. Uh, that is a... T- t- over 20, 24. Okay. I will keep that in mind. Uh, as you described what it looks like as the magic 
starts to roar through your body. Uh, yeah, so Shunyu turns and, like, looks spent, and I think I swivel just in front of her and in front of Costas, and you see Sun's body light up, and the light, like, go back down and, like, shoot up through me, and then I... a beam of lightning comes out of my mouth. Yeah, light like ripples up through your throat like you've swallowed a sunbeam and then this like purple lightning starts to explode out of your mouth and on this purple light like swallowing up the entire frame of view when it dies down we pan over to Dewey Dewey who are you and what do you look like as you swirl and get zapped into existence right here on the edge of the Euclid by the myriad's magic and what do you try to save Dewey is the pigeon birdman you met seven arcs ago. Uh, this time he's, I mean, now he's wearing his robes. They've been dirtied. They've been covered in uh, black blotches from the URL. His eyes are golden and bright and they are looking down at his hands. He falls to his knees on the ground, uh, arms outstretched to catch a demonic body that no longer exists. And he sits there for a hot second and then looks around for, I don't know, uh, anyone. Um, and he has he hesitates with his empty arms for a hot second. Um, and then does the sort of phone wallet keys thing, pats down his pockets um, and looks around for his daughter and the, the rope trick gadget that holds his ex-wife and also some uh, reformed scientists from the URL um, and his friends. Uh, and looks around and grabs as many of those people as he can before heading over to where he sees a biku. Yeah, Dewey, as you gather your wits, you also see sort of swirling with the same black demonic ever-changing magic into existence. Hana, next to you, she sort of reels forward like she was in the middle of just sending the message that has Dusty in it. And she sort of still like kneeled on the ground, like her hands um, in almost like a, a workman's position. Like, but now the tools clatter out of her fingers onto the ground as her eyes widen as she looks at Apocalypse breaking across the atmosphere. And then her eyes fix onto you her dad and then slide off of you as we see a rope sort of like fall out of the air uh and roach trip i think ends because of i mean so much has happened i think the concentration snaps on it uh and you see tumbling out of space just sort of poofing into existence uh several scientists just sort of like roll across the ground as well as your ex-wife yeah uh Uilani. they all just sort of like fall onto the ground there's a moment there as you turn and you try to rally them but then you feel something tug at your waist and at first you're like, is Hana grabbing on to my trousers? Like what's happening? But as you turn and look, you realize what it is. It is your Godjar, Dewey. It is Forge. You see Forge sort of twist and yank backward. Uh, and there's a split second uh, where Forge, where the sash that like ties it to your, to your body snaps. And you hear a voice in your head, Dewey. A voice that you had just heard literally three seconds ago, now ringing in your mind space. Ah, uh, yes. The two of you really do suit each other in the end, don't you? A failure of a paragon. And a failure of a demon. I think I'll be taking this, Cardu. And Forge vanishes. Dewey slaps his hand to his waist just a moment too, too late. 
is it just gone? Is it? Is, is, okay. So yeah, as you slap your palm to your hip, you feel Galtanger, her presence swirl from Forge into you fully. Like you feel her like basically like make way, you know, as like this like radiant energy fills up your soul. And maybe there's even like some relief basking in the sunlight of, oh God, okay, Galtanger's here with me. But you do lose something that's not just your paragon weapon. You feel that thread connecting you to Dusty. That thread of sunlight beaming you all the way up toward the nothing plane past it just snap. And you can't feel dusty anymore. Um, I think Dewey, like panicked frantically, is sort of like he falls back to his knees and he's just like pawing at the ground like Dusty, where Dusty, are you there? And he's just like sort of trying to grab onto wherever Dusty could possibly, wherever that thread he just let go of for, for two seconds. And then you hear cutting through this chaos. It's almost like all noise falls out. You're sort of pawing at the dirt, trying to find Dusty. And then what brings you back is, Dad? Dad, we have to go. Now, I think there's a teleportation pad over there. Come on, a bunch of people are headed there. Okay. Uh, Have you seen Dusty? Where's Dusty? Dusty's past the nothing plane now, Dad. We have to, we have to trust him, remember? To bring the message to the other precepts? I'm supposed to hold on to him. What? Where's your... That doesn't matter right now. Come on. Okay, and Dewey lets himself be pulled by Hannah. Uh, Ulani also gets to her feet, and like the two scientists on either side like help Ulani as she's sort of limping because she's still real fucked up from earlier. Uh, and like this group of you, the four of you huddled, like start making your way through the chaos toward a teleportation sigil that you sort of see just flashing colors as people get on it, teleport away, get on it, teleport away. It's sort of just like a portal to like get away from this area and like leave. There's a big crowd starting to form around it. So Dewey, tell me, how do you keep your daughter, your ex-wife and these two scientists safe as you're moving through the crowd? Uh, yeah, I think with the help of Galtanger uh, fully within his soul, residing within his soul now, um, now that the Ganjar is gone, um, he's got this sense of uh, like when these globs of emptiness are falling from the sky and he's got the sword that formerly housed Dusty um, and he just swings it and like slashes through these things as they're just as they're about to fall down onto his family. Yeah. Okay, make an attack roll for me then and that will be your combat roll. Oh, oh wait, I get to add my strength. Uh, that's a 14 total. Okay. Noted. Uh, as you swing this sword, this longsword that formerly held Dusty around, cutting down, I think, beast after beast after beast, hobbling your way over to the sigil on one last glimmering, gleaming slash of this golden blade, empowered by Galtanger's energy, we pan down to Jaron. Jaron, who are you? What do you look like as you stagger into existence with the myriad's energy wafting off your body? And what do you try to save? Uh, okay. <laughs> I think you see their right arm like slam up against the ground first, their prosthetic black obsidian that leads up to a lotus flower on their elbow first. As Jaron kind of like wasn't expecting this teleportation to occur and stumbles as they land into the Euclid chasm, into this space, and they land on the ground, their long white hair flowing in front of them. They are a green dragonborn with dark brown skin that sort of fades into these dark green scales, uh, tail 
broken horns except for one with blue morosi threads sort of uh, wrapped and tied between them. But today they also have their eyes, which are normally the color of blackberry juice, today are completely black. No irises, no scleras, black. And they are crying this inky, oozing black substance, and it's flowing down their face as they sort of land here, and they gasp as they do so. And I think Jaron just kind of like sucks in a deep breath and like looks around frantically to see where Sitlali is. And I think knowing after what we went through in the URL, what literally just happened five minutes ago, maybe, Jaron's instinct is that he needs to get himself and Sitlali out of here. Yeah, okay, as your pure black, bleeding, crying eyes scan this battlefield, you see, sure enough, Sitlali also sort of like staggering into existence, that same kind of magic starting to brim off of their shoulders. Uh, and I think, you do see Sitlali in some kind of immediate peril as they're getting their footing. You see kind of coming from directly behind them, uh, clawing its way out of a puddle of mother's blood that's oozed down from the sky. Uh, a creature I can only describe as an amalgamation of a person uh, and like, like an armored spider, I suppose, uh, on the back, uh, just, limbs that end, I think, in these grabbing hands as opposed to pincers or anything like that, but there are multiple limbs. And it's sort of scuttling forward with the limbs behind it sort of powering it upward. And there's a torso rising out of the shadow. And it doesn't have any facial features or anything like that. It's just pure void with several little bits of, what's interesting, like this, like these red eyes blinking across its uh, shadowy form. Uh, and it's approaching Sitlali very quickly from behind. What do you do? Well, I didn't mean for that to happen. Okay. <laughs> Jaron seeing this is going to quickly scramble up to his feet and I think literally tackle Sitlali out of the way, like grabbing onto them and like rolling around the ground. And as he does so, they are going to cast invisibility to ideally on both of us, if you will allow it, to uh, make it so that this creature doesn't know where we went and ideally nobody can find us and attack us. Okay, I need you to make either an Arcana check or a spell casting check. So use your spell casting modifier uh, and your proficiency bonus and roll a d20, up to you. Ooh, okay, I got a 28. Noted. Okay. Jaron, as you grab onto Sitlali, I think your soul still feels cracked open. There's still a literal fucking hole in the middle of your chest, uh, right? From that miniature mother's blessing that you took as you tackle Sitlali and invisibility wipes over both of you. And I think this is a good place for us to pan over now to Sitlali. So Sitlali, in the moments before Jaron attempts to tackle you, right? Uh, why don't you tell us who you are? what you look like as you also whirl into existence with the myriads of magic and what you try to save. Yeah, so Sitlali is six feet tall currently. Uh, sides of their hair shaved and they have this long mane of like all sorts of pastel hair. Uh, black lips surrounded by a manicured pastel stubble, stubbled beard. Um, they've got Lichtenberg scars from their uh, encounter with Vinash uh, that one time. 
LMAO. Uh, kind of, they're sort of faded now, but like all across their body that kind of coalesce around their heart. And from a line of the ones around their heart are three marigold tattoos? Question mark? Will they get more of this arc? Who knows? Let's find out. Uh, and they're wearing high-waisted leather pants. Thanks, Dewey. Uh, and her old dress has been chopped into a crop top. Oh, right. Also, they've got like sort of an alcohol, a swirling alcohol ink, like star map of Andake that just kind of moves across their body. And right now it's dark and it almost looks like it's storming. Like there's, it's darker than normal. The stars are a little dimmer. Um, And I think as they land here after kissing Lilith and it not working with that minor bit of precepthood that they had from being a precept five minutes ago. They were a precept five minutes ago. They were a precept five minutes ago. Um, they were they were they were in fact a precept five minutes ago. I cannot stress this enough for where that they are mentally. Um, they were a precept. <laughs> so sorry now I'm stuck there. Um, yes, they were a precept five minutes ago. What are they trying to save? Silali is looking for mercy. Silali is just scanning and using every ounce of perception, which is probably the only reason they didn't notice the empty beast behind them. They're looking for mercy. Yeah, your eyes like wash across this battlefield. It's almost like we see you in first person now. Like we pan to the left kind of shakily, we pan to the right kind of shakily. You're scanning faces, scanning locations, scanning beasts descending upon this crowd and then, I think maybe what I'm gonna ask for you is a perception check for your combat role. Cool, 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 Tay Tay I'm good at those. 29. Noted. And you see her. Mercy. This uh, green-skinned half-orc woman. She's currently standing on a boulder that does not look like it's from Talmud. It looks like it was a pl- like a chunk of it had been. Pl- it looks like a god spine boulder. The art, the sky is falling. The world is ending. Things are messy. Uh, things are flying through the air, slamming onto the ground. The ground is shaking, etc., etc. And you see her standing on top, literally scanning around uh, with her uh, the flat of her hand above her eyes, as she looks frantic. And her like long red hair is whipping like a flag in the wind and next to her is Squeak uh, also on the boulder sort of like hopping up and down like looking around fearfully right and like tugging on like Mercy's trousers and with your 29 you hear Squeak's voice like above the wind go Mercy we have to go I don't see your partner anywhere listen we have to save ourselves at this point (sighs) Squeak I'm not going anywhere okay until we find Sitlali and that's when Jaron slams into you and the two of you go invisible. And the empty beast behind the two of you as you stagger out of the way cleaves like through the ground, like slashes and like tears up like the pebbles and the dirt and the soil around you in this huge tract of land, like bulldozing past the two of you. A lot has happened. And after the everything that was the URL, Sitlali feels a little bit different. And Sitlali, tugs on a part of the weave that they didn't notice before and uh, casts message instead of sending 
to Mercy and goes, hey, hey, I'm invisible, but like, I'm here. Are you good? Are you safe? How have you been? Are you, I, I miss you. Hi, this doesn't have a word limit. I don't think, does it have a word limit? Tell me if it has a word limit. Can you, I don't really know how this works. I don't know what's happening. There's, I, we have, are you okay? I love Sonali. you. Sonali, oh, yes, thank God, thank the aid. Okay, I'm a believer now. I promised, I promised I'd worship you if you found Sonali and you did. So, hi, yes, okay, I, okay, I love you. I guess I'm a devotee of the Raven Queen now. Uh, whatever, so, I'm sorry, it's okay. There's the teleportation pad. I know you're invisible, but there. I think where Dewey and everyone else is going. You'll see those flashes of light. That'll get us to Camp Vanguard. See you there? Absolutely. And I think they try to tug Jaron, who is on top of them. And as the two of you, I think, tug and pivot and turn toward that teleportation portal as well, uh, as your invisible forms warp out of frame, we're going to pan around over to Voska. Bosca, who are you? What do you look like as you're, I think, tangled in this pile of people on the ground? And what do you try to save? Vosca is this pureblood Yuan Ti who has this beautiful, icy, freckled mess of white hair that sits wavy upon her, her head with a crisp undercut underneath it. Her eyes are an icy blue and a deep fog gray as a sign of her paragonhood. She wears these lithe, flowy robes of black and gold that are held extremely uh, slim against her uh, small form. And there is a torso window in which you can see her top surgery scars underneath that. She's holding on to Parable, her paragon weapon, a rope dart that has thick rope wound up her arm and watching two of her best friends uh, fly off into the sunset together. Uh, the literal end of the world. Uh, Silali was here a second ago and now they're gone. Vosca clocks the most immediate danger and looks for Oka. Ooh. I'm going to put a pin in what you do, Vaska. actually, as we pan across the battlefield to Oka. Oka, who are you? What do you look like as you're maybe also tangled under Vaska while this is happening, right? But then we're Abiku and Kostas were just moments ago. What do you try to save as well? Uh, speaking of the uh, most dangerous, uh, whatever. Uh, speaking of your problem child of the hour, uh, Oka Hyen is a gray-skinned, half-drow person uh, with a ton of freckles across their face, a scar bisecting their lip. You know it, you love it. Two pupils in each eye, except for that one that changes every time they blink because, oh my God, they're a paragon now. They've been a paragon for three days maybe, and now this is happening. Not doing well. Uh, their hair is long braided into this uh, gorgeous braid that uh, sweeps behind their head. They have four pairs of wings that are currently, half of them are crumpled underneath bud uh, as all of us are on the ground. They're wearing a bone corset. You can see their top surgery scars. You can see their nipple piercings. They're wearing a necromancer chic, one could say. Um, and there is blood sweat dripping down their face. Their, both of their eyes are blown open wide and they keep every other eye that they blink to is blue, familiar, Dr. Lusa's eye coming out of their face every other time that they blink uh, in rapid succession as they see all of their nightmares finally coming to fruition. And Oka makes eye contact with Vasca, 
and then their gaze pans over to where everyone is heading to the east towards the teleportation dais and then it pans to the west where the cottage is and where Dr. Eluso left their lab coat sitting on the armchair in front of the fireplace. They look at Vasca again and then they get up and they go for it. Uh, and I think as they take one firm like inhale, uh, I did not use this feature of prism. In the last arc, uh, they pull in and they hold time in their throat. Uh, and since I rolled so high, the last time I used Prism, I can stop time for eight seconds. So they use those eight seconds to sprint as fast as they can towards the cottage to give themselves extra time. Okay. I think what that means is you can make your roll with advantage, uh, given the fact that you've stopped time. Uh, so, because that's huge. That's a, that's, that's, yeah, that's a huge boon. So I need you to make either a sleight of hand dexterity check uh, or an acrobatics check. Acrobatics, baby, let's go. Okay, that was a natural 19, uh, plus 32. Okay, noted, I've noted it. Uh, Oka, everything around you slows down and then clicks to a stop. The gibbering beasts, the wailing sky, the sundering earth, the bleeding monsters. You like hop, duck, slide, and sprint your way toward that inverting homestead with its collapsed, crumpled-in roof. You dash up the steps of that front porch, you bust down the door, and your hands are wrapped in that familiar white fabric, uh, hanging off the arm of that armchair. And when you turn and start to dash out, that's when time starts to click back into place. You see things start to hurry up again, and the first things that are the fastest to move are the iris of the eyes in the sky. It's like they were they were frozen as well, but they start to move much faster, much sooner than everyone else. And Vasca, as your eyes follow Oka, they suddenly disappear. They're gone. And then you see them in the doorway of Dr. Luz's homestead holding on to Hitsagadin's coat. And you also see irises of various eyes in the sky swivel and start to fix on Oka. What do you do? Oh my god, Vasca's face drains of color in that second gaze that Oka casts towards them before vanishing from their sight. And just like in Arc 6, just like in Jukai, we see that look of mortal panic flash before Vasca's face before they notice where Oka is. And just like in Arc 6, let's see if this works this time. Vasca starts swinging parable and this shrill of electric guitar music starts playing as she swings it around and round and round it looks like old tiny film flashing into the image flashing images of the rope and she is going to cat a cast dimension door because she needs to get to oka now and she needs to get to oka fast and uh, she'll cast Dimension Door so she could just appear immediately there by swinging Parable into a portal as it forms and ripples out of space and swings into it as it's held taut against something. Okay, it happens. A aperture in space-time folds open cleanly as you swing yourself through and appear right next to Oka. Wolf, what is going on?
let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Uh, Oka just grabs onto Vasca's body. <laughs> dimension, we're a dimension dooring to the east. Okay. Fuck so, this. To make sure you're fast enough, Vasca, I need you to make a roll, a combat roll as well. Uh, so roll me either a arcana check or a spellcasting check. <laughs> we're going arcana. I've got expertise. Let's do this. Oh, thank God I have expertise. Uh... That is a 24, 10 plus 14. Noted. Uh, <laughs> you, you grab Oka and the two of you vanish. And all the two of you disappearing out of reality, we pan down over to Gentle. Gentle, who are you? What do you look like as you're picking yourself right up out of this like tangle of friends who are rapidly disappearing from uh, like around your body? And what do you try to save? Uh starters uh gentle lovely uh lovely little triton so uh blue skin green hair they wear pretty uh baggy flowy clothes like big baggy patchwork pants and a big cloak which by now might as well be this one that i wear every time um and in terms of how, how gentle looks there's been like one major addition which are a series of tattoos are essentially one tattoo uh running from their fingers up their arms almost like wrapping around them in a circle around where their heart is uh which makes not only a very convenient statement but also a very convenient target hopefully don't, connie doesn't use that uh <laughs> um but anyway um i think the initial reaction is gentle is going to try to see what people are around who need help getting out of here uh other civilians and stuff similar to what dewey was doing um, because I'm fast. I can help get people moving. I think I also just tell Bud, go, like, follow Oka, follow Laska, follow everyone else heading away from here. And Bud turns and starts peeling off, I think, toward one of the teleportation deuses, just co completely obeying you in this moment of, like, pure chaos. They just take your word for granted. And as you scan this area, I think you see many people in peril, but the person in most immediate danger is just like a regular Kyrian soldier. You may have seen them around camp here before. Uh, I think maybe you even distinctly remember serving them tea when they were like complaining of having like achy knees one night. Uh, they have this kind of like short cropped brown hair. They are a tiefling with these tiny little nubbin horns and their leg is currently pinned uh, underneath, I think a shattered part of a boulder. Uh, and in the chaos around them, none of their comrades are seeing them because they're so like uh, like focused on their own survival that they're calling out kind of weakly like hey, can you help help can someone help me uh, as they're trying to grab at their leg and you see sort of like uh, several of these howlers these empty beasts with these big bulbous throats filled with this noxious poison are starting to like approach and like a pack of hungry hyenas what do you do I'm I'm not really worried about the poison, thankfully, because I'm kind of immune to that. Um, I am, I'm charging it. I'm going to, even if one person, I'm going to try to save them. How? Are you going to try to, like, just tug them out and grab them and flee? Or are you trying to dispatch the threats before you grab them? I think the initial idea would be getting, pulling them out just enough that I can just hit flying. Once I start moving, it's fine. It's just getting them out of there. So I might even try to use uh, a gust of wind or something to buy me enough time to loosen them. Okay, I think you do use gust of wind. I'll give you advantage on an athletics or strength check to move the boulder because you can't 
There's no like non-brute yeah. way of getting. I know, them I know, yes. I. But I'll give you advantage on that. Thank you. Because I am not strong. Eighteen. Noted. Uh, you like Look, slam. You, talk about this. <laughs> you slam against the boulder, and I think you're able to tilt it up just enough for them to scramble out of the dirt. Uh, but they're like wincing as it seems like their leg is definitely fully crushed, right? But like through a surge of adrenaline, they like grab onto you and pull themselves to like full height. And they're saying, thank you, gentle, right? Ah, uh, no time for that. Back, back, you hard little dogs. Uh, the Kagon, there's Camp uh, Vanguard. It's a converted war camp from a couple weeks back. We can head to that teleportation sigil over there. Um, I immediately, I think I just give them some straight up healing enough for them to walk. Uh, just in case I see anyone else needing help, I won't be able to hold them and do that at the same time. Totally. I think you're able to just do it because you're, you're a monk. You use your hand of healing, I assume, so you can pat your hand against their crushed leg and invigorate it just enough so they can sort of hobble along next to you uh, toward, I assume, the dais. Yep. Wonderful. Okay, so I think, Gentle, we pan to your back uh, as you're strongly supporting this soldier uh, as the two of you cut your way through the crowd toward that glowing stone platform. And under one of the bright explosions of light uh, erupting out of that pillar, when it fades back down, we come onto Vasanti's face. So Vasanti, who are you? What do you look like as you stumble into existence with the Miria's magic fluttering off your body? And what do you try to save? Vasanti Nakshurzo is an elf woman, uh, a sorcerer with draconic ancestry. Uh, and she has one Kelly green eye and one purple eye, courtesy of one Scott and Nectus. You can also see across her face the faint, they're getting much fainter now, like little lines of stitches where Scott and Nectus literally threaded her back together in the nothing plane. She has white long hair. Uh, she's wearing like a green shirt and an armor and most notably a new bracer along her left arm that on the end of it, uh, still with the glow of magic, is a red dragon claw, basically mage hand around her left hand. And she's, when we last left her, she was kind of emo because Lilith said things that hurt her feelings and made her feel bad about herself. So she's, um, she's in a little bit of a daze for a moment. Uh, she's acquainting herself with where she is now. And I think uh, because of all these sort of earthquakes around the ranch, probably the fences that probably kept this, any animals in the stable has been broke apart. And there is Shadow, her horse, that she got in Kirtal. And she immediately goes, I need to save Shadow. And like whistles and starts running in that direction. And immediately upon the whistle, Shadow hears it and like gets all excited and starts running towards Vasanti. And they meet up somewhere in the middle and big embrace. But obviously there's no time to talk, so Vasanti just hops right on there like the new cowgirl that she is and starts uh, seeing where everybody is, seeing that there's obviously a sigil that everyone seems to be running towards, the teleportation circle, and she just starts, she just clicks her heels into shadow and starts booking it for that transportation circle as fast as possible. I like that. I think given what you're doing here, I need you to make an animal handling check. Come on, it's, it's gonna, it's an at 20. Plus Ooh, okay, what's the total? 27. Okay. 
Good to know. Uh, Shadow weaves and hops and like dodges and sprints and gallops all the way toward that teleportation dais. I think your hair is sort of like flowing the wind to like the beat of like Shadow's hooves against the ground as you're sort of like like hunched over bareback, right? As Shadow sort of like neighing uh, mane flowing like on either side of your hand, right? And I think you sort of see Blipping through space, Rev uh, in flurries of feathers is also like maneuvering her way toward that dais. And there's like a split moment where she's like, like soaring through midair, like dropping downward with her like feather cape, like floating behind her broad shoulders. And the two of you lock eyes for a half second before she nods and disappears and reappears by the dais again. And I think Vasanti, we lose you in the crowd as Shadow gallops toward that dais. And then we pan back, I think, over the the congregation of Bedlam to Abiku. Abiku, this magic in your throat explodes out of your mouth and, sure enough, slams into these grabbing shadowy hands, I think, trying to get Sun's tail. Uh, And you sear most of it off, uh, but kind of like a lizard with its tail cut off, uh, one of the limbs detaches from the rest of the body and grows these extremely sharp like nails, like claws, as long as your forearm at least, each claw like exploding outward and launches itself forward even as the rest of its companions are seared into nothingness by your magic towards Shringi. And you're still, this is like happening in bullet time. You're still breathing out, right, that magic and your eyes widen, right? Those clouds in your irises swirl even more as I think fear, instinctual fear bubbles up in your chest as your gaze travels across the length of sun's back as this thing rises to pierce her throat. And then you feel something hard and cold ripple into existence in your palm and repelling into reality is grim. One of your arms is thrown out. You're holding on to Grim, and we see in the last moment that blade fshing, like swipe out as those claws like smash uselessly against like Grim's blade and like bend and snap off at like a 90 degree angle. And Grim almost like it's like instructing you how to wield it. You feel something urging you like bend your arm just so to parry. Do you do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she's very good at listening. <laughs> yeah, you scoop your elbow down and you flick, I think, the muscle of your forearm just so, and that claw just is flung uselessly off to the side and Shringy is deflected, right? Like, from danger. And then there's, like, a split second and you see Rev's face in grim look at you <laughs> and nod. And there's, like, a shared understanding as you lock gazes and then grim poofs and vanishes as well, and you're there with Shrini and Sun. Um, we don't, let's go. I I don't know what that was. That was, let's, Sun, hurry. Wonderful. Yeah, you like hop onto Sun and with two massive beats of Sun's wings, they explode into the air and soar off toward the east. And we leave the homestead in a state of broken, collapsed, dilapidated chaos. And it's time to tally up your uh, doom and fortune rolls, my friends. So we got four failures and four successes, which means it is a net total of zero, which means our our fortune and doom tracker stays at negative two.
which means something kind of bad happens. So even as all of you vanish and this crowd of people that had been at this like impromptu war camp by Dr. Luso's homestead begins to dissipate, those irises that were glowing above Dr. Luso's cottage that had been fixed on Oka, the glow rises and rises and brightens and brightens and we see several strings of void light shoot forward, eight of them, coalesce in the middle and boop, boop, a massive hammer of light shoots down onto the cottage and just absolutely obliterates it. Like from the sky, we see like shingles vanishing into dust, like a nuclear explosion. We see like the porches like rise up, right? Like the earth gravitate into the air and then flicker into dust uh, as this bubble of pure void energy expands, expands, expands and wipes across our entire screen. In the midst of apocalypse, Camp Vanguard is a beacon of hope. This place used to be Toktoa's main war camp, tucked in the central foothills of the Ogumor River Valley, but has since moved to the southeastern tip of Kirtal, some 100 miles north of the Godspine. Camp Vanguard now rests in the shadows of the Tanushlek Desert to the south, shaded by towering dunes of sand with pockets of bristling needle grass. The climate here is dry, warm, and like everything else now, red. The survivors of the stranger's emergence cluster in this camp. <laughs> teleporting into existence, zapping into reality from an erected dais, huddling against horses, tending to livestock, restringing bows, sharpening blades. In the near distance, we hear the howling of empty beasts, muffled explosions, screams. Occasionally, an eye in the sky brightens, seems to charge or cry, swirling vortices of energy wrapping around its pupil, and then poof, a razor-sharp needle of energy punches into the ground all across Endake. The sky is flashing with this activity, rippling like lightning in the throat of a storm. And to the west, the far, far west, we, and all of you, see the stranger. Oblivion's body, weapon, lair, spiraling out of the Euclid like a staircase to nowhere. Its emergence, especially from a distance, seems slow, almost peaceful, like it's not even moving, half out of the ground, half still in it, like a statue that's ballooned from mercury. But you all know the truth. Up close, it moves faster than, than gravity. I don't think any of you know how long it'll be before all of it is out. It could be days, could be hours, could be weeks, could be minutes or seconds. But for now, there is a momentary measure of, peace isn't quite the right word, but let's say absence of immediate chaos and danger. Some braid of a breath to recover. And we're gonna pan across Camp Vanguard, across the gurs, the stables, the fences, the shanties actually, to find, staggering out of their own invisibility, Jaron. Jaron, make a death save. Did you say death? Yes, make a death save. 
I got a two. That is unsuccessful. Uh, okay, mark one on your box. Mark a failure. Okay. Drawn, as you stagger forward, I think Sitlali, the invisibility also warps off of you. And I think you're on like a slight slope kind of, and there's like a little bit of sand tumbling by your ankles. And you see Jaron just stagger forward. And with your two Jaron, you fall to your knees uh, and you cough and black blood like erupts onto the ground from your mouth. I think the fresh, the sheer effort that was required to cast invisibility on himself and on Sitlali, I think was probably too much. And that's like what pushed them closer into death. The threads that are weakly holding him on to this plane onto the weave starting to snap a little bit. And Sitlali, if you're looking, you can see that along their skin, probably easiest to notice on their arms more than anything else, small eyes start to form and they start to blink into existence, one after the other, crimson, mirroring the eyes that we saw on the stranger up above just now. Yeah, so Sitlali is going to put their cane into like the holster that it has and just like tumble after Jaron. And I think just starts yelling, Oka, 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 are you here? Where's Oka? Oka, where the fuck is Oka? Someone get me Oka! And like, Sitlali drops to their knees, pulls Jaron into their lap and is like, you know, scrambling at what healing they have Mm. and yelling for Oka. I think as you yell for Oka, almost like Sen is answering your prayer, uh, dimension dooring into place, mere feet away from you are Bosca and Oka. Jaron, it's gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Oka, Jaron, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think Jaron does look up at you, but there is no, I mean, they don't really have irises or people, so it's hard to tell where exactly they're looking anyway. But even if they could, I think it's clear to you that their vision is not focused on you. They're looking at you, but they're looking past you and looking beyond you at the same time. And like, I think this blood is like still like dripping out of their mouth as they're laying in your lap. And like some of it is like falling onto you even. Oka operates into existence, the thing that they hate most in the world. Uh, and they stagger, I think, and like this, the noise, the sound, uh, the lab coat clenched in their fist so tight that their knuckles have gone white, holding onto Vasca. They blink, stagger for one moment, hear Sitlali's voice, their like neck like whips around. They see Jaron on the ground there, uh, and they immediately start m- moving. Like, and I think they even like trip in the chaos. Uh, and then they're just like crawling on all fours, uh, towards both of them what 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 is this what happened what 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 and i think they try to call up the blood tether between themselves and jaron like they like immediately and i think this like rust colored wire it looks more like wire than like living bright red blood like kind of comes out of their own chest and i think if it's okay with you i'm not out of jaron's as well uh with these like severed edges and Oka looks at the severed edges, looks at Jaron, looks at Silali, looks at Jaron. Vasca! Uh, <laughs> Vasca's already there. Like, she heard Silali call out for you and has, a, as we know, a deep amount of respect for Silali. Hands over. Everything's not good over there. And she is like rushing after like Oka, who's like, Animist, animalistically crawling onto the ground over to Jaron 
and just like slides on over and just kind of like looks at the situation. What can I, I've not seen what happened to Jiran. What can I determine on what's happening to them? Yeah, why don't you make a medicine check for me? Thank God I took skilled in medicine. <laughs> it's all I will say. That's a natural 19 plus 11. So 31. Okay. As you like drop down to where Jaron is and you assess the situation here, you're like looking them up and down. You're like trying to tell exactly what's happening here. Uh, you see that hole carved into Jaron's chest like it's been punched out of them. Like you could probably put your hand in it if it were just full of void. You're not sure what would happen if you placed something inside of it. You have a feeling it would be obliterated. And something about that hole in the center of Jaron's chest makes you think of the seed of annihilation. There is a part of oblivion, of mother's blood, of nothing anti-magic that is within Jaron, and it is eating them alive. You don't know how they're still here. They must have been holding on to sheer stubbornness, sheer force of will or something, but they're rapidly, rapidly dying. Uh, I think Vasca just turns to everyone and is like, we need to get this anti-magic, this empty, this oblivion out of him. And is like scrambling to stabilize Jaron's soul so they have enough time for either Sotlali or Oka to try and remove the empty magic from Jaron. I think as you uh, say that you need to like get this out of them, Jaron can hear you vaguely. And I think they sort of like gurgle, like mumble out uh, towards Oka, who is uh, sitting by them. Reward the dagger, Kane's dagger. Oka gets that real fast. I think they go to put it into Jaron's hands, uh, and they notice all of the eyes, like the like almost like tattoos, starting to open, uh, and they flinch because they exploded a boat about that once. Um, and there's like an instant like. What, what, tell me what, tell me what, Jaron, 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 what happened? What happened? Adam, mother's blessing, Lilith. And they kind of like raise their hand um, as if they were going to like grab that fraying tether that is coming out of Oka's chest. Time for that later, come on. Ah, uh, sit lolly, sit lolly, they're dying. I think Sadali has a hand on Jaron's face and then puts like a hand up to Oka's face and goes, I know, they have been for a hot minute now. It's kind of hard to tell because they took this out of Adam before I killed him, but that's, he's, um, I have an idea. I have an idea. I don't know if it'll work. Maybe it'll work because we're both together. Do and... it. Do it now. Okay. And Sitlali is going to attempt to fuck with time. Uh, using Sin to try and go reverse time, but only for Jaron's body where they had more health and vitality while also casting life transference to like give them almost like, like doing the electric fucking paddles like IRL. Okay. I'm gonna need you to make an arcana check. Yeah, I figured. That is a natural 19, um, 28. Okay, noted. Uh, so Sitlali, as you scramble to repair Jaron, tell me how this time magic bleeds out of you. I think 
the alcohol ink kind of coalesces out like behind them into those wings again and this time they are raven feathers like half black half pastel because uh, they're doing deathy things we love some sacrilege we love a little bit of sacrilege to start off an arc um i think their grip on oka tightens a little bit maybe enough to draw like a little bit of blood because you know and they just will it back like they ask sin and they just will it back like time back as their own essence kind of like vitality starts to go into Jaron in this like outpouring of pink from their chest. Yeah, I think the black veins that have begun to spiderweb across Jaron's skin start to like retreat. Uh, that hole in the center of Jaron's chest stays though. It doesn't get any smaller, but the black veins do begin to retreat and Jirani do feel that searing pain that's been with you ever since you left your version of the garden in Lilith's construction of reality. Uh, that pain is still like flaring on every nerve, every blood vessel, every cell across your entire existence. But some of it begins to fade and dull just a little as Sitlali is helping. Uh, so Sitlali, you are able to like stabilize your own a little bit and keep them there. But even your magic, even your what, 28, won't be enough to fully heal or fully restore Jaron. We need a lot more than that. And Voska, I think you can tell based on your medicine check that even though Sitlali's work, work personship is really good here, there needs mm -hmm. to be more. I need more. I need more, Oka. I need this out of them. Any healing I do for him will be for naught unless we get the empty out of him. He won't let no. you take it out. If you take it out, he'll bleed to death. Just seal it in. Uh, and Oka is going to... I'm going to do some fuck shit. Uh, Oka's going to take the edge of that blade, Kane's dagger, and cast, I don't know, light on it? Uh, divine will-ass something uh, so that it gets really, really hot, uh, like radiantly hot uh, with the edge of the blade and almost like not cutting on Duran, but like sliding the flat of the blade up their arms and passing over the eyes to seal them in and burn them away. That's what they're gonna try Duran to do. screams. Yep. As you yep. do this, like visceral, guttural scream. Yep. Okay. Make me either an arcana, medicine, or religion check. <laughs> 30. Understood. Uh, so as you slide the flat of the blade down Jaron's skin, we see several of the eyes begin to close. Just sort of like they just, they were open and blinking and even looking almost like alive tattoos, like crimson tattoos on Jaron's skin. And then they just shut and vanish. And there's like a little bit of like a burning skin smell and ashy residue as the blade glows red hot and passes over the top of it. Uh, but there is one eye you can't get rid of and it is a blinking open eye on the back of Jaron's neck. Vaska, you feel that Oka's assistance alongside Sitlali's is getting there. It's close, but it's not quite. There's still a little bit more help that Jaron needs. And I think maybe at this point, your eyes are drawn. I mean, <laughs> Nibuza tugs you toward Gentle, who spiraled into existence right alongside Bud on this grassy, sandy knoll that everyone is on. And you also turn and you see 
do we? Ulani, two researchers in lab coats that you don't recognize at all. The Hana. You see Vasanti galloping into existence like on on a horse. You see a Biku like swooping down on Sun and Shrinyi. And you get the feeling that the answer is right here in front of you. It's in the threads that bind you to Gentle and also inextricably to everyone else here. What do you do? Voska is going to do the thing that she did with Gentle when she first noticed that tether to Gentle and understood that Gentle was their keeper and do that to everybody as she, as if all of the tethers and threads surrounding her, connecting to everyone else is like a zither and just plays all of them at once summoning everyone closer to her so that we can get all hands on deck to save Jaron, and it's just this putting your finger at the edge of the piano and pulling all the way across. Mm. And I think all of you now, Abiku, Gentle, Visanti, and Dewey, uh, the four of you feel something tugging at you toward where Jaron has collapsed on the ground. And almost like you've got a fistful of threads and you're pulling them all like inward, right? Like uh, kites that have been let loose and now come home to roost. I think all of you find yourselves turning, compelled, uh, moving in the direction of Jaron. And I'd love to pan to each of you and, and get a little, just a little quick something of what you do to help Jaron while they're in these dire straits. Let's pan over first to Gentle. Uh, I have a move called the Hand of Ultimate Mercy. Um, yes, uh, it is my capstone move. And I'm going to give uh, five key points and it's just going to give a uh, solid amount of just raw life essence uh, to help keep Drawn going. Mm. As you kneel next to Drawn, where do you rest this hand? I think, is one of your hands just available, Drawn? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, just... Uh, just take your hand and just like put life essence in from the hand. Very just homies, like how you help the buddies. Homies helping homies. Uh, yeah, your your hand goes over Jaron, and Jaron, you feel that pain that's been racking your body. That's kind of you know, Silali's taking the edge off. You feel it dull even more as this life energy is pumped through you and we see the, the last remnants of those veins eking out from the center of Jaron's chest begin to recede as well. But their eyes are still that inky black. They're still bleeding those black void mother's blood tears. There's still that eye on the back of their neck. We pan over to Dewey. How are you helping? Dewey's hands instinctively go to his hip for the god jar just in case things go wrong, uh, but it's not there. And so he's desperately looking, he finds some like trinket in his backpack to start doing these like magic rituals on to turn it into a crude version of what the God Jar could do. And seeing that uh, doctors Palpone and Sato are just kind of, I assume standing there like dumbfounded um, and in shock, uh, he like shakes them by the shoulders and is like, help me, God damn it, help me do this. Uh, Dr. Palpone goes, what, 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 I'll help you, what do you, okay. Uh, and the two scientists sort of like get to their knees and, and look at Jaron, they look at each other and uh, Dr. Sato goes, I'm not a surgeon, but we can try. Uh, and they start like pulling out tools of like their various toolboxes and like diagnosing Jaron. And you see one of them pull out this like, like what looks to be a stethoscope, uh, but they like put it up to their eye and like the tube part goes over to like the hole in Jaron's chest. Uh, and they're like blinking through like the flat coin of the stethoscope and they go, okay, well, this is bad. 
diagnosis is this is very, very, very bad. Uh, in order to get this thing out of this person, it's, it's gonna take nothing short of divine intervention. I'm not the one to do that, though. Dad! Dad, you literally have a god inside your soul! Fine. And Dewey uh, grabs uh, whichever one of the doctors is leaning over John and, like, shoves him out of the way. Ah. And he and he takes the stethoscope into his... Uh, and puts it on himself. Uh, listening for what he can tell from Jerome's vitals and also for Galtanger within his soul. Yeah, okay, you feel Galtanger sort of rise up and roil within your chest uh, and just sort of unbidden, uh, just this wave of, I think, radiant energy from your feathers that, like, ripples into the flat of the glass, travels down the tube and shoots into Jaron uh, and burns away the rest of the black. So we see like Jaron's eyes like get seared away by this radiant magic. And we see for the first time Jaron's regular kind of blackberry purple eyes uh, as you're hunched over them. And now we pan over to Vasanti. Vasanti runs over and I think with her sort of red clawed hand she's reaches over and sort of puts her hand like sort of not on the cheek but like more like right here under the jaw a little bit um and i think vasanti like sort of like goes inward a little bit and is asking for scott and nectus oh yeah what are you trying to ask scott and nectus to do specifically v is like scott nectus there was once a time in my life where you literally ripped out my heart and said i was not your paragon you owe me one. Please help me help Jaron stay alive right now. And you sort of feel like strings warping against your soul, right? Like a net of coins and love and the sharpness of a blade and the softness of a feather of a lover's touch uh, wrap itself around the glowing center of who you are and you hear a pair of familiar voices resonate inside your skull. Only one. <laughs> Only one. You know, well, I suppose in a manner of speaking, perhaps you could argue that we do. Scott, please. Jaron needs our help and Vasanti has a point. Vasanti, we could stabilize them for now. They are literally on the verge of being claimed by the empty, but we could perhaps use a little bit of our magic to, to anchor them here. But there will be a little bit of a uh, consequence. You see, this will be our magic and you being the paragon and the vessel we reside in, you will have to be in a sense uh, responsible or at the very least, uh, how do we say, connected to Jaron in a deeper way than you have been before if we do this, Visanti. Are you prepared for that? Yes, whatever it takes. I'm here, I'm, I'm here to help him. Just do what we have to do here. Then let's do this. And you feel these, like this red and this purple lilac energy, I think spiral out of you as you, one of your hands starts to glow red and the other starts to kind of glow purple with these like bands of magic swirling around them and unbidden kind of, your arms just sort of surge forward and they uh, clasp or rather cup Jaron on either side of their uh, face. And Jaron, this gasp of just pure, energy of, of specifically 
love, this kind of like friendship love knitting itself from Vasanti into you. It is both Vasanti's care for you, as well as Scott and Nectis's, as well as the care and the energy from every single person who's helped you up until this point. Scott and Nectis seem to be pulling on this uh, to empower their own magic. Uh, and the last, I think, of the veins uh, completely vanish from your skin. The last of the black vanishes from your eyes. Uh, and we see the hole in your chest doesn't shrink, but a glimmer of purple and red magic starts to cover it, almost like sliding a lid over a swirling jar of void. You can still see the void inside, but it's becoming trapped, contained. That pain in your body has been cupped and set aside a little bit, but it's still there. And we finally pan up to a Biku, I think, for like the finishing touch on this. Uh, Biku lands. Hops off, sun runs over. You see Abiku. Uh, I reach to my back, and you see um, the tattoo, like a bird wing, come out of the tattoo. And I take a raven feather off, and I want to drop a raven feather into the void and cast protection from evil and good. Um, I want to bullshit it a little bit because it has like a time limit usually, but I want it to be like like a like a token or a talisman to like help keep it. If the best we can do is like, we'll just put a band-aid on that. There's a, the world's ending right now. <laughs> I want to make it a really strong band-aid. Okay. I'm going to ask you for either a religion or a arcana check. Got a plus one to either. Uh, cross your fingers, besties. There's my second net 20 for 21. Okay! As your tattoo extends outward, you pluck a feather forward uh, and you drop it in. Rev! Ribbons into existence next to you, right, as the feather goes down. And she throws out a hand and you see that feather emboldened with her magic as well. Uh, with that nat 20 swirling around it, it floats past that pane of red and purple glass, essentially, that had knitted over the void from Scott and Nectis. It floats through it, it's allowed to pass, and then it vanishes into the void. And Jaron, that's when you take your first full breath. Jaron, your vision swims in and out, in and out. Above you, you think, you see a pulsing red sky. Eyes spackle the horizon, irises roving, pupils shrinking and expanding. You are half conscious, half dead, half comatose, half alive. You feel your body being picked up off the ground, and there's a sensation of vertigo. And then strong arms, soft and warm and scarred, hoist you up underneath your shoulders, underneath your knees. You glimpse a scarred chin, a bisected lip. You also see black hair twisted in a long whip-like braid. And all around you, there's muffled movement, muffled sound, shouting, explosions, you think, blood, gunpowder. Camp Vanguard is moving. Your vision, I think, eventually blurs. Your eyes close. And when they open again, you are somewhere quiet, somewhere private. A tent with soft rugs everywhere of hide, bedrolls, pillows, dangling strings of herbs. You're set down onto a soft surface. 
And then we pull out from your perspective, Jaron, to find Oka, Zibali, and Gentle in a medical tent in Camp Vanguard, surrounded by the bitter stench of camphor, poultices, herbal remedies. Jaron lies prone on a bedroll. There's a beat, I think, as Jaron settles down as Oka gently lowers them. And then the tent flap whirls, there's like a, a, a flurry of movement, and in bustles Mercy, who immediately sees Sitlali and just crosses, just goes across the tent in like three long strides to where you are, and just is just going, Sitlali, <sighs> glad I found you so quickly again. Uh, how, how is he? I don't think Sitlali says anything, I, and I think she just buries themselves in Mercy's chest. Oh, 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 hey, 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 you're okay. You're okay, I'm here. All right? You're fine. I'm 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 here to take care of you. And I think they just start crying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. Uh and Mercy starts stroking your back, you know, very tenderly. She holds you tight, like her arms go around you like a weighted blanket. Like she's holding you really tight trying to calm you down through this like physicality and she's just sort of like muttering lowly, whispering in your ear, but it's a small tent so everyone can hear. Uh hey, Hey, it's fine, Sitlali. I got you. Okay? You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. I'm here. All right? I'm here. Oka's here. Gentle's here. Even that fucker's here. Listen, and we're all here to take care of you. Okay? Just trust that I'm always gonna be here to take care of you. Oka is still melt over Jaron a little bit. Their braid kind of falling over their shoulder onto his chest. Uh, and I think if it's okay with you, Dare, uh, they're like taking whatever Gentle is handing them. Like, I assume that you are around this chamber taking the herbal remedies and stuff, and they're oh, trying to help you the best they can. Yep. Uh, I think I'm just making a bunch of salves for Jaron, um, and then just some things to help reduce stress for everyone else, because this has been a lot. And I think Jaron is just lying there on the bedroll probably like trying to sit up a little bit but every time he tries to sit up he doesn't have the energy to like keep himself up and just kind of like falls back down and they are just lying there like again only i think half here because everything that just happened the pain that they were feeling is suddenly dulled but it's like going from like a hundred to like zero really quickly and they are i think still jarred a little bit and like kind of trying to like get their bearings in this moment as well. And they just under their breath, Oka is like, do you really want me to make Sit Lolly come over here and make you stay down? Just lay down, Tron, please lay down. <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry. I just, no, you're right. <sighs> and don't, don't call there... Sit Lolly, please. Sit Lolly, come over here, please. I said, and they disentangle uh, themselves from Mercy semi-reluctantly, but do, like, come over. And I think that's the first time that, like, she gets eyes on you, Oka, and, like, moves with greater urgency, registering that it is you. And there is this kind of dull, the empty place past shock that is present in Oka's face where their eyes are terrified, but the rest of their face is kind of blank. But I think you can even see like their heartbeat pulsing on the side of their neck really, really, really fast. And I think as you come towards them, their like hand comes up and with surprising strength, they pull you down and into them in a vice grip like hug. 
And I think Sitlali fucking melts against you. And Oka, like, flops down against you as well, and, like, down onto the ground next to Jaron also. Like, just all of us down into the bed, I think. Think of this gentle, very casually, uh, walks over with a couple of uh, cups of tea and just, like I mentioned, the aforementioned uh, candies and stuff. It's like, um, first off, it's nice to see everyone. It's been a minute. Um, sorry, it's like this, but I made some things to maybe help us. Gentle, please come here. Okay. And uh, their hand kind of passes over those long line tattoos and like from those threads pulls you in as well. I think Jaron's hand immediately goes to where Gentle is and kind of like rests on it. I don't think he has the strength at the moment to necessarily like pull Gentle in, but they're just kind of like resting their hand over on Gentle's own. I missed you. Yeah, um, I missed you a ton. Um, I'm gonna say it was weird doing any like work without you around. Yeah, I... It was really only like what, like a day? I but I don't know how time worked down there, I'll be honest. Mercy, how long were we gone? Mercy snaps her gaze from Sitlali. She has not taken her eye off of Sitlali this entire time, but finally wrenches it off of them to look at Yuoka. Eight days. You all were gone for eight days. When you say all does that include, and Joran looks over at Sitlali, does that include us? Yeah. I don't know what happened in the URL where you went or whatever, but it was a week, okay? And that week was hell. We couldn't reach you. We couldn't reach any of you. I, I couldn't contact you, Sitlali, or Oka, or Gentle, or, or any of you who went into the chasm or to the islands to the south. We just, all we could do was sit there at the homestead and just watch as the sky turned blood. It was horrible, and I never felt so al alone. I just, I mean, we had Squeak, and Squeak and I bonded, but it was, it wasn't the same. Mercy, come here, please. Well, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna slap me for being a wuss, I'd rather you just come over here and get it over with. Well, come here and get your slap for being a wuss. <sighs> and Mercy, Trods over. And Oka punches her in the knee gently to just kind of like knock her down. And then pulls her in. Into like the ground with them. Kind of squashed uh, Sitlali on either side, I think. Uh, oh, God. You know, if anyone that's not us sees this, I would punch them until they forgot. But this is uh, kind of nice. Yeah. I've missed you too, Mercy. Ugh. Shut up. Listen, we're not gonna hire you back, no matter what, alright? But there might be an independent contractor role opening up, with cut wages and no benefits, of course. You act like the hounds have benefits to begin with. Yeah, the benefit is calling yourself a hound. Obviously, as uh, a third-party contractor, you would- never mind. Uh, Mercy, um, that actually does remind me. Um, back in Morose, I did find uh, an old pamphlet for the hounds that you happen to have, and the benefits you offered here are a lot more significant than you currently offer, and I'm kind of curious about that. Are you holding out the pamphlet? Yep. 
what the? She snatches it and stares at like this like really nicely like kind of put together hand-drawn pamphlet of like Hounds of Mercy, this guild group. And she just goes, I don't remember putting this together. Something about the handwriting is kind of familiar though, but I have no memory of writing this at all. Are the benefits at least comparable to what was originally on this one or? You know what? If and when we survive this goddamn apocalypse, fine. You all have my word, you hear it now, that new benefits for full-time hounds, mercenary monster hunters are going to be exactly as written in this pamphlet. All right? And that means none of you can fucking die, okay? Because you want dental. It's a better reason than any not to die. Exactly. So don't really any of you think of dying on me, okay? Really took the whole apocalypse, Mercy, to get you to finally give us benefits. I do remember in some shitty hole-in-the-wall bar you and I went to four years ago, I did say something along the lines of, only when the hells freeze over am I ever gonna re-up these benefits, and you know what? Seems like the hells are freezing over, so my word is my bond. You have no idea. And Oka's gaze goes a little bit sideways, remembering literal hell that we literally went through, not six hours ago, in their mind. And they kind of just, like, bury their head back against Sitlali's hair and tuck themselves closer to everyone. I think Sitlali went really still at the mention of it being eight days. And I think in a very small voice. How many days was I a fucking precept? I think that means seven. What? What did you just say? When did I kill Adam? You killed... And Mercy's eyes, I think, trailed down your body to that skull hanging around your neck. And there's like a sharp intake of breath. You fucking did it. Good. Right? Why doesn't it seem like it's good? Mercy, he's not from here. He wasn't supposed to be involved in any of this. He wasn't... He was too far gone, but... He was a... And I think Sidlali just starts crying again. Oh, hey, 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 it's okay. We can talk about it when you're ready, all right? But listen, it's that part of everything that's happened to you is 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 hopefully over-ish now. Uh, but either way, I'm I'm here for you. Okay, Sitlali. Like I said earlier, we're all here for you. You can count on me. You can count on us. Right, hounds? Yes. Always. Forever. We're monster hunters. It's a heavy burden to carry. And sometimes they are too far gone. But that's the choice that we make. And that's the choice we carry. And I think six foot something Sitlali makes themselves a little bit smaller so that they can fit better and be the little spoon for Oka. And I think they almost like it's a habit that they forgot that they had. They start braiding a little bit of your hair just like down the side where it's shaved. 
And I think on that, with all of you holding each other, hugging each other, collapsed onto this floor in a pile, even Jaron involved Mercy there, Sitlali, Gentle, Oka, we're gonna fade down on this scene to find a Biku Ishtar. A Biku, what are you doing in Camp Vanguard? A Biku is nervously pacing back and forth in front of a tent. Uh, I think with Sun outside of the tent, like, you, like you gotta go in there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sun is squatted next to the biggest tent, I think, in Camp Vanguard. There's, like, a stable next to it and, like, tons of horses in there. There's clearly, like, sound of, like, movement and talking in, like, the strong, curt tones of Kyrian from within. And you're pacing back and forth and your <sighs> companion lets out a big sigh, cocks their head to the side, and you hear their voice in your head go, Abiku, waiting it out isn't going to make it any easier. You should just go in and talk to her. It's just been so long. It, it was a, a whole... Year. I did a lot in a year. Uh, what, if, what if I'm not the Ibiku she remembers? The two of you are soulmates, okay? Now, I've never had a soulmate of my own, but I hope I will one day, hopefully. I mean, after we win all this. But what I do know, based on what I remember seeing of the two of you... It doesn't matter how much time passes. It doesn't matter how much space separates you. You love each other. That's what counts. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, I will just go inside the tent now. I will open the flap and go inside. And Sun goes, oh, oh, are you sure? Oh, okay. And Abiku, you open up the flap and you enter Toktoa Kagon's tent, where Shringi is sort of standing behind a war table, her like hands clasped, I think like behind her back. And she's over the course of this day has been administered a lot of medicine from the best healers in Endake <laughs> and has like, you know, sort of like regained some composure. And she's in the middle of, I think like reporting to Toktoa. And you see a couple of other Alliance members behind this war table. You recognize Elder Pohaku as well as Root sweet breeze from the court uh, behind the table and they're sort of like conferring in low tones uh, and Shrini is in the middle of saying and that's what I've been up to for the past year and Toktoa's hands are splayed on either side of the war table right like her shoulders kind of tense and she's looking at Shrini kind of incredulously like trapped at the bottom of a chasm embedded in a wall made of your own flesh you know what we've heard weirder so thanks for the update and Ah, Ishtar? Uh, Kagan? Um, I was wondering if I could have the room. And this room is full of, like, generals and, like, high-ranking Kyrian cavalry and, like, the literal alliance members. Uh, they're all, like, looking at each other like, what the hell? And Shrini goes, uh, oh, uh, Kagan, we can talk outside. You don't have to worry about us, Abiku. Oh. Okay, I just thought inside could be more pleasant, but that's outside's like a whole world-ending thing, you know. It is, but uh, as close to the stars as we can get, you know what I mean? Okay. Never mind, everybody, as you were. Uh-huh. <laughs> and 
Magda watches as Shrini, like, very, like, politely, I think, salutes in, like, the traditional ancient ba way, you yeah. know? Like, a kind of, like, a click of the heels, a salute, and, like, a, a gesture of the elbow that seems very dated. And Toktoa cocks her head to the side, and Shrini nods and turns and starts to stride out and smiles, like, briefly at you on her mm -hmm. way out. Uh, but before you turn and follow her, Toktoa goes, Amiku! Yes? Glad you're alive. You too. That was very useful with the sunshot thing that you did. Um, and I also think if it had eaten you, it would be very bad for the entire world. Yeah, uh, glad to see you haven't changed one bit since going into that chasm. No, well, I technically, I'm so, I have to go talk to my wife. Yeah, I will, okay, I will yes, find you later. Speak to your now not dead wife. Uh, she sort of lingers on that word as you exit the Kagan's tent. And on the outside, you see Shrini is maybe a couple paces away. She's actually uh, stroking the neck of a horse uh, mm -hmm. in a stable nearby and just sort of looking mm -hmm. at it wonderingly. And as you approach her, without turning around, she just goes, one year. Trapped down there for one year, which was really, what, 10,000 years? Yes, it, I suppose. So I am. So if I knew you were done, I would have. I would have gone there as soon as you woke up. And she turns, and even though there's the horse there, there's like the bustling war camp all around. For a minute, it just feels like it's just the two of you. Now she turns and looks at you. This is the face of someone who is both a stranger to you and someone you have known your entire life. Someone you've only known a few moments and someone you've known for 10,000 years. And Shrini looks at you and says, I... I've missed you, Abiku. So much of my consciousness, my memories, my thoughts, they feel fractured. But they're coming back to me now. I'm starting to remember what it was like before, before I woke up. Do you remember any of that? And she moves away from the horse and approaches you, like, almost tentatively, right? Like, mm -hmm. she's not, she's also, and you see nervousness in her expression, too. Like, she also doesn't know how to reunion with you. We were beyond all of this when we were dead, yes, but still together. Do you remember any of that? Oh, I remember before that, but I don't remember that part. The, the queen said it would come to me slowly. Queen, the Raven Queen. I like your new tattoos. Thank you. I, I do too. Um, I, I did not know I would get them, but I am fond of them. I'm fond of them too. They look good on you. And she raises an arm and trails fingers over your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some maybe good news. The yes. war, the war, our war is finally done. Yeah, it seems like we were plucked from one war and then dropped into another, doesn't it? Well, we almost stopped one until a egotistical bastard, you know, he does. But maybe 
we're here to help stop this one. I don't think we can just, like, hug it out about it, though. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, we tried. I remember us trying, and it, um, it almost worked. Maybe this time. Maybe this time it will. It is a friend of ours. Well, my, I guess, I think you would like them if, you know, besides, but it, it's not, it's not his fault. Um, it's hard to explain, but we have a friend in there and we, we're gonna, we'll try to save them. <laughs> now this feels familiar. You, me, up against the entire end of the world with nothing but this. And she holds out her uh, arms and takes your hands in hers. I, there's something I want to tell you. You know. Anything. Well, like a few things, but when I woke up, I didn't remember a lot. But I remembered something you told me. And that was, as long as we're united, we've already won. And here with you... I, I've gotten what I've wanted. I've won. <laughs> no matter what happens. Apiku. And without saying another word, she moves in, closes the distance between the two of you, and kisses you. Yeah, absolutely. And as the two of you hold each other, and this feels so right, Apiku. There's no other way to put it. If destiny... <laughs> Even if destiny weren't coming, this is what it feels like. This feels like fate. This feels like the two of you were meant to be. And as your lips are locked, there's like a moment of just peace and everything else falls away. It's just the two of you. And then, Abiku, you hear a flutter of wings and a voice go, Hey, 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 big lady! Hey, you! Oh, hey! I pull back. Wait, what? Why are you? Hold on. Uh, stand, I saw my head we were sitting because Abiku sits and she stands up. Um, <laughs> didn't they leave you in charge of a place? Is the place gone? What are you doing here now? Do you have like a message or something this time again? Do you have more clothes? And you see on like perched on the horse's back that Shrini was stroking just a few moments ago, there are two ravens, Blackbeak and Silvereye. They look exactly the same. You're not sure which is which. Uh, <laughs> you're, you maybe sometimes think that they're not sure which is which either. And yeah. one of them uh, goes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might, uh, we might have a message or two for you, a big lady. Mostly the message is, we felt something through the weave, you see. Through the weave in Dabathati. It was, it was a mystical compulsion, some sort of magical force bringing us over. Ah, you're taking too much time, Silvereye. We hear you're, uh, what? A new friend of the Raven Queen? So I guess we're, uh, part of the package, too. So you work for me now? Well, I wouldn't say work for. I'd say we're uh, equal business partners here. Yeah, 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 equal business partners. We all have the same share of grain, a coin, of all the shiny things out there. Lovely. Would you be able to go find my wife some lavender flowers, please? I think we might need them. Absolutely. Your word is our shared command that we all agreed to do. Come mm -hmm. on, Blackbeak! And these two ravens take off from the back of the source. I look back at Shuni. Well, that is new. Um, 
there's a lot there's a lot to catch you up on but the most important thing and abiku sits back down again and like takes her hands um i should tell you about me and Toktoa. um so the last time well not when i was here but when i was at a camp of Toktoa, we well we sort of did it like a lot like a lot i don't have to brief now and i can i give her eyebrows <laughs> Um, but so, and I mean, it was Toktoa broke, we weren't dating, but it felt like she was breaking up with me, even though we were not dating or anything. And then I was more upset than I thought I would be. And it's been sort of weird since. And so I wanted to talk with you about all of that, because I don't know where I am at with that. And I, we've never, we didn't talk about it 10,000 years ago, because it never came up. And here we are. Wow, okay, yeah, that, uh, that is a lot. But Abiku, no matter what, I'll always love you, and I'm always on your side. It's us, not you and me, it's us, okay? So, whatever happens, we're always gonna be okay. And she, like, continues to hold out her her arms as she, like, squeezes your hands in hers. Mm -hmm. And that's when the tent flap uh, behind you two opens again, and Toktoa actually strides out, looking across uh, Camp Vanguard. Her eyes pause on you, gives a curt nod, but then she continues scanning until her gaze falls upon a certain Dewey quirk in a different part of the camp. So, Dewey, why don't you tell me what you're up to in Camp Vanguard? Dewey, um is sitting in a field a little bit away from the camp and he has sent Toktoa uh, a handwritten like message uh, slid like a piece of paper underneath her tent flap saying hey can you meet me over here um, and he's sitting on a rock the same direction and distance away from the camp as when he met fake Toktoa a myriad Toktoa um, at the other camp so long ago and he's kind of just staring off into the distance with his back to the camp as Toktoa approaches. Yeah, so I think Toktoa sees you from across the camp, <sighs> strides past where Abiku and Shrini are sitting after casting them another, like, curt nod, uh, just right on past, right as Shrini's like, hmm, you know, uh, and she makes her way through Vanguard until she, like, moves past the immediate periphery of the camp under like the glowing crimson light of these various shattered eyes across the sky. And you hear her approach, Dewey. She's like not trying to disguise her, her footprints or anything like that. Cardu. Hey, Gagan. Um, you wanna, you wanna sit? And he like pats the rock next to him. Uh, you know what? Yeah, okay. Uh, why not? Yeah, I'll sit next to you on this rock as equals. And she approaches and sits down right next to where you are. And I think there's like a pause. And then she just goes, Cardu, on the topic of equals, there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Maybe you already have a suspicion you know the topic. Um... I also have thoughts, but no, you, you go ahead. You go first. For the past few weeks, I've been wielding Sunshot, and with every arrow I let fly, 
I am reminded of what our God said to me. And I know the way we left things off the last time you were here in Kirtal, I had, I had mustered an apology for how I had been treating you, but apologies aside, I just, I want to make sure we're on the same page. You know, you are paragon of Galtanger, I am keeper. I think we should share an equitable balance of respect, responsibility, duty. Yeah, uh, good. I'm glad we're... Uh, yeah, I wanted to um, also apologize for undermining your authority back when that happened. Oh, don't you didn't do that. Don't worry about that. Oh. Uh, cool, if you say so, and Dewey like, has like a piece of paper he's written down the, the apology he was going <laughs> to read to her, and he like shoves it into his pocket. But I'll still take your words, and like she like holds out a hand for the apology note regardless. Uh, I, not, mm, you sure you don't want me to just read them to you and then not give you this piece of paper that I wrote down on? You know what, since you've, since you've clearly prepared something, just, okay, I will receive it and listen equally to you as you have listened equally to me. Oh, uh, okay. Um, it wasn't that, it wasn't like a whole speech. Uh, it was just, uh, sorry, undermining your authority, uh, even though you're kind of a dick. Um, it, it didn't really matter who was Paragon and who was Keeper. We're all in this together, etc. That was the gist of it. Yeah, those, are, those talking points are quite salient. Th thank you for that apology. Cool. Uh, Toktoa hops off the rock, <laughs> straightens up. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's not, uh, that's not all I asked you to sit here with me for. Um, oh? I don't know. I just wanted to, like, check in since we're the Keeper Paragon, you know. Um, I guess... Did you find what you were looking for in the past couple months? Well, it's I made the pilgrimage, like Altanger asked. I was able to obtain Sunshot under the conditions she had stipulated. Able to rally a army the likes of which had never been seen since the Thousand Year War. Was able to draw alliance-based contracts with every single other world leader. We've been training our troops, arming them, preparing them. So yeah, I think we've found what we've been looking for. What matters now is the final stand. If I've learned anything, it's, um, I mean, like all the war efforts and your tactical prowess are great. Um, but being Paragon, being Keeper is more than, I don't know, I've had to get more in touch with my feelings uh, in this whole process. Just wondering, I guess I don't have to know if, um, I don't have to know about those feelings, but just wondering if you maybe also had a similar thing. There, there, there's a pregnant pause, uh, and Toktoa's like crosses her arms over the front of her chest. So, she talks to you too. Um, yeah, a little bit. Right, 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 right. And you also sometimes get like a nagging. No, not nagging isn't the right. Well, just a, a pressing sense, you know, that she, she wants. She wants you to go in a particular direction, or she wants you to say a certain words to certain people when they pass, or 
she urges you, you know, there's this sense of, I don't know, it's, it's like, my connection with Galtanger isn't the same as yours. I don't literally have her in my soul, but a part of her presence does swirl within me and it urges me to be free, I suppose, from my own problems. And uh, that's, yeah, that's been, um, that has been difficult to uh, think about, to address. I haven't exactly been very forthright about confronting them. It's, it's quite, it's a, I'm in a messy situation right now, Cardu. Uh, per personally speaking, there are some personal things happening that are confusing and difficult. And I haven't burdened any of my lieutenants or generals with knowledge of this, if you must know, but these problems may or may not involve matters of the heart. Uh, sorry, not sure if we're on the same page here. Uh, who's this? Who's this them? Where? Uh, Toktoa leans in and says, we're not that close, Cardu. Not yet. We're not. Mm, just, I, okay, you know what? Just, fuck it. Can you let Abiku Ishtar know that it's not weird if she doesn't make it weird? Okay? Make what weird? Uh, you, you know what? I shouldn't have asked. I'll let, I'll let her know things aren't weird. I appreciate that. And if you could also pass along in the message uh, that I regret the way we left things off. I hope we're able to have some sort of reconciliation before all of this resolves for better or for worse. I wish her well, uh, health and fortune and favor with her new, well, I suppose ex, well, I suppose current wife. And she knows where to find me if she should ever come looking. And she left one of her hair things in my, that's, I've been meaning to, but she can, she can come pick it up. I can't write that fast. Are you sure you don't want to You're just smart. Tell... You can remember it. Okay. Sure I you have, don't want to just I tell her a... in person. Mm, I have a war to win. I, my general, I can hear my generals calling me. So, <clears throat> so, uh, it's like completely silent out here. <laughs> I will breathe a word of this outside of a BQ Ishar card quirk. And I will have... I will be upset. I'm not going to threaten you. That is not very equitable, but I will be, my feelings will be, I'll be angry. Cool. Uh, I guess if we're making requests to each other, now that we're growing closer, are we? Um, anyways, if we're making requests, uh, if I, you know, I don't have my god weapon anymore, um, temporarily. If I die out there, um, you'll help Geltanger take care of, like, the people I love, too, right? The same way I'll do this thing for you and Apiku. Of course I will, Dewey. And listen, you're not going to die, okay? Uh, well, I I'm trying not to. You have a knack for surviving even the most incredible of circumstances. I'm sure you will survive this one, too. I'll do my best. Thanks. That, that was it. Yep, okay. <clears throat> right, cool. Good talk. <clears throat> Good talk. Uh, oh, yep. <laughs> yep. The two of you are like, strange. She like turns and goes off back into the direction of Camp Vanguard. Um, and as we follow Toktoa Kaga now, as she makes her way through Camp Vanguard, past stables, past stalls, past gurs and yurts and shanties and shacks and tents, and past even, I think, a particular stable where we see Shadow sort of eating some hay, and nearby we find Vasanti. 
Vasanti, what are you doing in Camp Vanguard? Uh, I think Vasanti just came back from a little ride around the area, and it's now just like getting, um, getting Shadow tucked in, <laughs> put away, fed, groomed a little bit, just, you know, bathing this horse in all of her love and affection. Um, and as she's finishing up, she sort of probably looks over the rest of the camp and, um, Perhaps he's Jaron somewhere nearby? Yeah, maybe. I think at this point, Jaron, uh, you are mostly restored, uh, after, especially after getting your spirits lifted by the rest of the hounds. And if you so wish, you can have ambulated about Camp Vanguard as well. So where do we find you? I think uh, Jaron is probably going around the camp uh, trying to... I think essentially like take stock of what everybody's uh, different roles are in the camp because I don't think that uh, they've sort of acclimated themselves to all of the ways in which everything's organized because most of the time they'd been in the tent resting, right? Whereas everybody else had been like off helping, doing their thing. I think Jaron is kind of like lagging behind a little bit. So they're just going around like asking people like questions and trying to gather as much information as he can so that he can like very seamlessly like slot himself into wherever people need help and wherever they sort of fit. Vasanti sees that and um, starts to make her way towards Jaron, maybe even like waves at Baffa, who's probably like trying to close up the stable. And Vasanti calls out to Jaron, Hey, Jaron, you're, uh, how are you? How are you? I think Jaron was like mid conversation with somebody at this point, uh, maybe with like Squeak, who uh, has been sort of taking charge of everything. And they just kind of like look look away from Squeak and look at Vasanti and they say, Oh, uh, Squeak, can you give me just like a few minutes and I'll be right back? I have a lot more questions to ask. Ah, yes, because my time is inherently less valuable than yours. Go ahead, go ahead. I didn't say that. I'll go have your conversation. And Squeak just like meanders off. Well, that's not... Uh, I'm going to have to pay for that later. Uh, hi, Vasanti. Uh, I'm doing okay, better now. Thank you, by the way, if I haven't already said that, uh, for helping. Well, it was my pleasure. Uh, I know you would do the same for me as well as everybody else that was there. It was, uh, you know, we're just taking care of a friend. Let's hope that we don't have to. Yeah, well, I think we should be taking care of each other as much as we can uh, in these next days, weeks, months, however long it takes. And I think Jaron kind of like sighs and there is a very, very tired look on their face because even though the void has been sort of like sealed up uh, and there's this very strong band-aid, magical band-aid that everybody has put on it, I think that it's still sort of like sucks a lot of energy out of Jaron just simply like existing. It doesn't quite hurt the same way that it used to, but it's tiring. It's exhausting. And I think you can like see that on his face. You look like you're still, uh, still recovering just a little bit. Um, That's a bit of an understatement, I would say. Well, can you feel it? It. When I had Scott and Nectis help, they told me that we were going to be connected to each other now. Yeah. Yeah, it... It's warm. It's different than anything else. I mean, I've 
been tethered to other people, been tethered to Oka before, but this feels different. Feels light, almost. So weird. It's like, um, I could kind of just get this strange sensation that, like, I could feel you a little bit moving around the camp a little bit. It was... I guess I haven't felt that kind of tether before that much in my life. I've tried to avoid that kind of tether for most of my 111 years, so... And just your luck, your first time is with me. Just my luck indeed. Risk and reward. What does it mean, anyway, for us to be connected like this? I don't think I quite understand. Well, you know, I guess I don't... Scarlet and Nexus don't exactly give you an instruction manual on what it means to be tethered to another human being because you saved their life using their powers. Would be helpful if they did, but... <laughs> That's the gods for you. They like to not tell you all the details ahead of time. But I'm sure we'll figure it out together. Speaking of the gods not giving you all of the details, I'm sure you know that uh, Scott and Nectus offered me keepership back at the URL. They did ask for me to help try to convince you to uh, accept the position, I guess? I've been thinking about it since, well, since we've been here and since everything has been going on. But I don't know what it means to be a keeper. I mean, I see Sitlali and Gentle and, you know, everyone else, Takatoa, as keepers, but I don't quite understand what it means. Well, I can only speak as a paragon and a, as a paragon who doesn't have a keeper yet. Um, you said something to me once about how, you know, the gods were forcing us to do their bidding, that they weren't giving us a choice, but I want you to know that there's always been a choice between me and Scott and Nectus. All they've ever wanted for me from nearly the beginning once they entered into me was for me to follow my heart. And where has your heart taken you then? Many adventures of helping all of our friends here, helping Dewey realize his paragonness helping him with hana at the url it's helped it's led me to finding my father and finishing things with sievert and it's led me to you and i think jaron kind of like takes a moment to take that in and recognizing that scott and nectus gave him a choice as well last time they didn't push the last time that they spoke, they gave them a choice to do things his own way. And I think hearing that all that they've ever asked Vasanti to do is follow her heart as well. It feels right, I think. And Jaron just kind of nods. Can I be honest with you, Vasanti? That's all I've asked of you since uh, we officially met. I'm scared. I'm scared that accepting keepership kind of makes all of this real, doesn't it? Yes. I felt the same way when I accepted that I was to be a paragon. It makes it real. And it's scary. But in the end, what I've learned 
You're not doing it alone. You have all of us. You've got the keepers and the paragons. Anything you don't know, we'll figure it out together. You don't have to do it alone. And Jaron, I think we'll hold out their hand and grab Fasanti's if it's okay with you, Erica. Yep. And they will squeeze gently at Vasanti's hand. I think that connection between the two of us kind of makes, kind of washes over the two of them as we make contact. And it's almost as if there is the presence of Scott and Nectis too with between us right now in this moment as we stand here holding each other. And I think on that, uh, we sort of fade down on the scene of Paragon and Potential Keeper, Jaron Cotter, sort of joined at the hand, entering, I think, a new phase of their understanding of each other as people. And as we fade down, as we sweep down over Camp Vanguard, over the thatched roofs of various tents, over the hide-strung walls of Gurs, over the stables filled with pack animals and horses, over the forges chugging black smoke into the atmosphere, coiling black fingers against a crimson sky, I think we find one person in particular amongst all of these soldiers, all of these weary paragons, alliance members, keepers, staff, loyal warriors. Vasca, where are you in camp after all of you work together to save Jaron's life? Vasca is finding any tent that is empty, that doesn't have anyone else there, so that she can take two, three steps in and immediately collapse onto a pillow or a cushion. She's mm. had a really hard time and from running for your life to saving a comrade's life, she's worn out. She just kind of just slumps down. I like that a lot. And I think, however, your lonely reprieve is interrupted quite quickly by someone else entering this tent. Abiku, how do you come in? Uh, I walk in, and I'm like, oh, good Vasca. Um, and I, I just sit down uh, next to Vasca. Um, okay, so we're all back, and that's good, right? But also my wife is here now. Yes, yes. And I think, I think Vasca, like, as soon as you sit down by her just leans against you because she's tired, but she wants to hear you out. So... Uh, what about... You, uh, is she okay? She was... I should talk to her, yes? Yes. Y yes, yes. But... It's been... I guess 10,000 years, but like a year of me not knowing. I should tell her about Dr. Who, who is this? My wife... My wife is Shuni, but I haven't... Oh, so when I was here, and I tell the talk to her story... <laughs> mm-hmm. So I should tell her about that, but... How are you? You look tired. Um... <laughs> I think I think Vasca just heard talk to her story, wife, uh, and is, like, processing that, and you're, 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 like, mentioning whether to tell her, and she's like, no, I, I, I believe you should tell her... And talk to her, and I, then you ask how she is, and she's like, "Um, yes, I'm, I'm a little worn out. Yes, 
I did not expect to see Jiran in such a state. Um, just needed a moment to catch my breath. But, no, you were asking me a question about your wife and this talk to us situation. Yes, it is confusing. Do you still feel connected to it? It has been 10,000 years. How do you feel? Oh, I would destroy the world for her. Oh, I don't know. Well, I think you see Vasco. Oh, well, I, I don't think you have anything to worry about. But I I don't know if I destroy the world for Taktoa, but like maybe a mountain? A, a mountain? Yes, so that seems like something to explore, but I don't want to... I, I just don't know how to talk about that. Then, then I'm sorry, you just told me mm-hmm. that the Taktoa broke up with you? Yeah, but I mean, when I met Shuni the first time, she tried to kill me. Like, a lot. I see. Do you think... I think I think Vaska's trying to process. Just bringing it up with Shuni might be a good first step. No, that seems good, yes. But then I have to talk to Shuni, and now here we are. I, what if I spent the war in here? Apiku, mm-hmm. we have spent a great amount of time in the same tent together. I am more than happy for you to do so. But don't you think she deserves an answer? No, yes, you are right. But it just feels like I got my memories back and then I was like, okay, well, she's gone. But now she's back. But it's like we're back in the same place again where there's this whole big war thing we have to do. You know what I think you should do? And coming through the flap is Costas, who exhaustedly plants themselves down onto a cushion and like looks at the two of you. There's like a kind of like wide and raggedy expression in their face, you know, and they keep touching vertically down their nose where flesh meets ice. Like they're remembering what it felt like to be pulled apart by oblivion. Um, but their eyes like rest on you, Abiku. I'm, I'm in camp. Don't tell anyone anything. You know, you just got Shuni back. You can just sort of like, you know, just sort of like be together um, without discussing anything. What? I mean, sometimes when you make something, when you talk about something, you make it real. And when something's real, it can, it can die. So. That started as a very costus thing to say, but it ended as not a costus thing. So that's growth. Thank you. Yeah, I think... I think I've definitely grown. And they, like, worry their thumb against the seam on their chin. I, I think Vasca... This is this is the side of Vasca that I think comes out more with Strike Team A, where she's, like, being more forward and casual with the both of them. And she says, That is also very uncharacteristic of you, Costas. I... And then she goes... No, 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 that is not the point, though. If, yes, when you say things that that mean a lot to you, it, it can make it real, yes, but... But you love her. Don't... Don't leave anything unsaid. Don't hide it, don't... Don't cower in fear, Abiku. You love her. 
What else matters? Truly. This is why I came to you. You are so smart. Uh, Costas, come here. Why are you sitting over there? Come here. Uh, you know what? I actually have to, uh, I think there was, I'm really hungry, so I'm just actually going to go. I just, some. big lady arm, pull. come <laughs> here. <laughs> and I put my arm around both of them. Now, I know for you two, this is all, this could be scary. I don't know how many wars you've been in or for how long, but I have some experience. And I just want to let you know that I won't let anything happen to either of you, okay? I love you two, too. I, I know, I, Habiku. I think you, you, you hear Vasca like, process that, and she's just like, I have not been in any wars. This is the only one. I was a traveling bard up till a year ago. And I love you too, Habiku. But you're... It's not just you protecting us all. We'll strike Time. Costas and I have your back. And Vasco's just volunteering Costas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. <laughs> yeah. Just casually. Totally. Co- Costas <clears throat> clears her throat and goes, Yeah, obviously we care about you. You know, we're all friends and stuff. But, uh, uh <laughs> listen, look, Abiku. And they sort of like wiggle their way out of your hug. Mm-hmm. You've got like two hot ladies who want to sleep with you, okay? As far as I'm concerned, that's not a problem. You know, so just, I'm gonna get some food. Okay. And Costas just gets up and leaves. What's up with them? Well, I'm I guess they got split in half. I'm very worried about him, Apiku. Well, I don't think me making fun of Costas will help right now, so you probably should talk to them. You don't think so? No, I mean, they got, like, ripped in half and then put back together, so... I don't know. That's, like, a lot. I can't really process it, and I have the whole wife thing. I think you see Vasca glitch as she hears like part of your comment of I think that what would have been if a Vasca response was like maybe a, a soft chest chuckle but that doesn't happen. It's just like a weird glitch. And instead she goes yeah. No I I should speak to them. Um, you and she holds your hand. You tell Shunyi everything. I will make sure to do that. Um, I wanted to ask you, what happened with you and Costas down in the chasm? Things seemed different when we came back, when me and Oka got back. Costas seemed very upset that they could not be Keeper of Nibusa. And I lost my voice and could not explain that I had no... Control or power over that choice. Mm-hmm. And in all, all honesty, I don't think Costas would have been a good fit either. Hmm. I think a Biku, uh, I, if you will allow Biku, will grab your hands a little tighter. I think you should talk to Costas. I don't think it's about being keeper. We also spoke about what they mean to me, and I told them the truth that both you and him are you're both my rock my foundation and I think she like leans into like we're holding hands and Mm -hmm. she kind of like leans her face against both your hands I don't know what I would do without the both of you especially in Tungal 
Abiku kind of like tilts your head to look up at her. Vasco, my friend, you should really clarify to Costas what you mean. I'm going to go talk to Shuni, okay? Okay. And then, yeah, I get up and leave. Vasca sits there dumbfounded. And we pulled a black on that scene. We are going to pull in to the darkened fringe of this settlement. Here, the stench of the stables is thick. Manure, hay, saddle, oil. The low whinny of horses presses a rather comforting rhythm under the sinister red glow of the eyes above. And I think it is here that we find you, gentle, wandering the perimeter of the stables with Bud in tow. I think, however, your easy ambulation is suddenly interrupted by a loud noise. Fuck off! I said get the fuck out of here! Go! Get lost! Uh, uh, oh, okay. Like you. Oh, fuck. I think through a bunch of rocks and trees and grass, you see Oka's little foreign kind of like pop out from behind a rock where they were basically hiding from everyone and anyone, even though they were yelling as loud as they could. And I think maybe like 10 feet in front of them, uh, Sitara, their elk, um, still with that little metal bracer over its knee, uh, is standing there with uh, no saddle, no bridle. Uh, it's kind of hitched over Oka's shoulder and the saddle is at their feet. And I think the elk is just staring at them. Um, are you... Am I interrupting something? Are you okay? Uh, gentle, I, um... I'm just trying to... And they gesture at the elk, who I think is just standing there staring at them, not moving. And they turn back to the elk. You are not a war animal. Get out of here. Go! Shoo! There's a fucking gigantic direwolf right there. You're not gonna run? Go! The elk dispassionately chews on some grass and just kind of flicks an ear at you. I don't think they're going. I think they kind of want to stay here with you. (laughs) Yeah, but everyone... Anyone who's... We're in a lot of danger right now, gentle. I just... I'm trying to save anyone I can. I'm going to ask a question. Can I see the thread between the elk and Oka? When you focus your energy, gentle, and you sort of like winnow down your field of view so it's just Oka and Sitara, uh, everything else seems to sort of fade and fuzz at the edges. The smell of the hay bleeds into nothingness, and it's just the antlers of this elk and Oka's scarred form. And you see it. A thread extending from the center of Oka's solar plexus, floating gently over to Sitara. They're linked. Uh, hey, Oka, um, so it's been a little bit, but I can, I can see the thread between you and Sitara. You two are linked. I took its halter off. What do you mean, the thread? The, so... As a keeper, one of the things I can kind of see is, like, the threads that connect everyone. Um, sort of, kind of like relationships 
care, that sort of manifests as these little, like, threads. I, like, try to make a hand gesture of threads to make sure it's conveyed in some way. Uh, but, yeah, it. I can see that you and Sonata have one, and I understand being super afraid for uh, everyone's well-being, but don't think you're going to break it? A very morose of you, gentle. And Oka walks over, I think, and stops a few feet short of Gentle, looks kind of back at Bud. So, what do you do when you're trying to protect a thread that's important to you? I also look over at Bud. You do your best. Um, it's scary, and there'll be moments that'll be stressful, and you'll care, and you'll be really, really afraid. Um, Hopefully, Asatata won't get kidnapped by somebody who I don't want to think about, but it's not always easy, but if you care about them and love them, the bond doesn't fade, and you'll do your best to keep them safe. And I think Oka's eyes kind of turn up toward the red, bleeding sky. I really miss them. And I'm really afraid. If I may, can I put a hand on your shoulder? That's okay. Um, it is okay to be scared and miss people, and it's a lot. <laughs> and I think Gentle sort of flicks a gaze up to the sky as well. But we're going to do this because we have each other, and we have everybody here. We're all linked. You know, I don't really believe a lot of what people tell me when I'm freaked out, but I believe you. Well, you said I was your hope, so. Thank you, Gentle. Oka, Sitara turns and nuzzles their big furry cheek against the side of your shoulder, sort of boring their entire weight against you. And at the same time, Bud also comes up to Gentle and sort of presses their big gray, white, fluffy fur against their friend's side. And these two companions kind of nuzzle you both. Tara, your breath smells like hay. And Sitara, you swear, stomps a little bit and like misses your foot by like three centimeters. And then it whinnies. And without even looking at you as if for like permission or anything like that, this elk sort of nudges its way back toward the stables in the opposite direction of where you were trying to get it to go off to. Um, and it like sort of swishes its tail a little bit and like pauses, I think, at like the front of the stables and turns almost as if like asking you like, are you going to come and feed me some sugar cubes or what? <sighs> really not bothered by the end of the world, are they? Huh? I mean, rather have you at the end of the world than no one. And maybe we can figure out some elk armor. Who knows? You know, I have been talking to Dewey about dog armor. And Oka, I think, extends their hand out for Gentle to take. Gentle to walk takes together it. back toward the stable. And uh, hand in hand, I think they walk back toward the stable. And I think on that, like, we close down and fade away from the scene. And we come up on a different scene entirely. We fade back up, I think, over the next day, question mark. It is so hard to tell the difference between night and day when the entire sky is crimson blood all the time. 
but we do follow a new person uh, cutting through camp, a courier, uh, stopping by tent to gur to tent to gur with several scrolls in their arms. They stop by the hound's tent and they pull it open uh, and they push a scroll in through, nodding intently and saying, oh, alliance meeting later today, all invited to attend, very important business. And then they like immediately close the tent flap and like continue like hustling through Camp Vanguard, delivering this message of an alliance meeting that is to come in preparation of war. Everything else goes black. We hold on that for another minute. And then we hear a voice. Dr. Eluso. It's Sagatin. Sagu. You really are gone, aren't you? I can't even keep my own shadow around. No matter. They don't know you're not here. And if there's one thing I've learned from our little mindful excursion, it's that if you dangle hope in front of a love-starved paragon, they'll bite. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Later, Lyle and Peanut, Matt Sweeney, Purple Mouse, Riley, Spencer Critchfield, Scruffesis, and Target. 